So the title is Why Preach? And it just happens, I mean, the Holy Spirit works this all the time, but it just happens to fit so nicely with the pastor's new series that he's starting on the Sermon on the Mount. And so he just started last week, and next week he will continue. Uh, And so I'm filling in this week. You can see there my name is Elder. Well, it's not Elder, but it's Joshua O'Donnell. I am an elder here. But uh, uh, so I am looking at the topic, why preach? It's a good question. And especially in our world today, we wonder, does preaching do anything? Because there are people who are really hurting. And a lot of our focus in our ministries in the church are to meet people's needs where they're at. We want to make friends with people and then introduce them to Christ. So why do we preach? And is it effective? Maybe, maybe we've been looking at the Bible wrong in focusing our attention on preaching, or have we? You might have seen this or heard this. I've heard this many times. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. It's attributed to lots of different people, but in fact, it comes from a poem. It was a rather well-known poem. This guy was well-known in the beginning of the 20th century, and his poems are great because they actually rhyme and they flow. They're very easily accessible, and what a nice sentiment. I'd rather see a sermon because... Don't we say that, you know, don't tell me about your faith. I want to see it because we haven't, you know, a lot of times we can only imagine what the Christian life might look like because we can't think of a single example of someone actually living it. Uh, So this this, uh, poem, I'll just read part of it. It's pretty long, but I just took a few lines to get the flavor of it. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye's a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. Oh, and one more, for I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. And of course, those sentiments are very good. And as a poem, this is a very nice poem. Poetry and art, it's unique in that everything in the art world uh, is there for a reason and it all makes sense. It all wraps up. It all ties together. And so everything is, you're kind of creating this perfect world when we live in a very imperfect world. So art is beautiful because it all makes sense. But then if you bring critical thinking to it, sometimes it falls apart. Art isn't for critical thinking. Art is, does something different for us. So as art, this is great. But I am going to bring a little bit of a critical thinking slant and see if these sentiments actually hold up to truth. So I I hate to dash such a beautiful poem, Um, but this one, so we'll start off soft. This is actually a a positive one. The eye's a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Let's look at an example of that. 1 Kings 10.4, and this is when Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and house that he had built... And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy act. Oh, sorry. I skipped two when I meant to go one. We missed one in there. 
Oh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I got confused. So it was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. So in this case, the, the hearing was, didn't compare to the seeing. That the words couldn't express his wisdom and his wealth. And when she had seen it, she was astonished. But even at the words, she, she didn't believe it. So here's a case where she needed to see it to believe it. And it goes on, and behold, the half was not told me, thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. So then the next line in the poem says, fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. Now in the poem, he's comparing seeing and hearing. And so the first one, fine counsel, that's hearing. And the next one is example, that's seeing. So he's saying that he'd rather see one than hear one. So he compares the, what it's like to hear and what it's like to see. So it's a very nice artistic combination there. But when we bring the critical thinking, we say, fine counsel, if it's confusing, how could it be called fine counsel? Fine counsel would not be confusing. And the example is always clear. Let's see if that's actually true. <laughs> uh, here's only one example. There's many examples of examples that are not clear. Uh, but in this one, Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So what was the sermon that Eve saw here? Obviously, it wasn't from God. She was dazzled by the serpent. And the sermon that she saw was, here's the serpent around the tree that she was told not to go to. But here he is. Not only he's not dead, as God said. God said you would die. But here the serpent's not dead. So she can see very clearly what's going on. Oh, he's not dead. And not only that, serpents don't talk. This thing makes you wise. Here the serpent is talking to me and he's very much alive. So in this case, she heard the sermon from God, don't go near this tree, but she saw a different sermon from the serpent. So let's go to the, ne the next part of the poem. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everyone needs. For I might understand you and the high advice you give, but there's no understanding how you act and how you live. Let's see if that is actually true. John the Baptist, in Matthew 21, 32, it says, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. So the way of righteousness is a visual demonstration of righteousness. This actually is what we're saying when we say we'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. We want to see someone living righteousness. And here John came to, to you in the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. And then it says, and, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. So it, his visual sermon worked on some people, but apparently 
it doesn't work on the people who are in the church. It works on the people who maybe aren't in the church. And then it finishes up, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. And so sometimes we think we want to see a sermon, and when we see it, we reject it. We don't always have good discernment to know the truth. Um, and by the way, this, if, for a visual sermon, this painting is actually great. I love this painting. And so again, this painter, he takes the critical moment. A lot of the paintings of John the Baptist show his head on a platter, which is kind of gross. And it doesn't really show anything about his life. But this one is showing John the Baptist completely calm at the moment his faith is tested at the most. So when you're a painter, you don't have any choice except to show a sermon. You don't have the choice of using words or uh, using voice or a written word. You have to just present it and present it clearly. So I love this painting because it really makes you feel the moment of what it's like to really believe so clearly in your savior that at the point of death, you're calm, you're ready. Here's another famous visual sermon, John 20, 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And so here we have one of the most famous examples. He didn't believe it till he saw it. And yet, Jesus follows it by saying, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. He, Jesus admits, you only believe because you did see, but blessed are those who believe without seeing it. And so, is it possible that our eyes can't be trusted? That maybe when I see, uh, like I think of, just what this poem is talking about. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Um, when I was training as an artist, as a painter, this would apply very easily that you couldn't just use words to explain how to draw and how to paint. Obviously, you have to demonstrate it. And yet it's also true the other way, that a demonstration with no words could be very confusing. That if you just watch someone working, you could pick up a lot of bad habits and not actually understand what they're doing unless they tell you what the thinking is behind. So even when we think of a visual sermon, what's the difference between someone actually doing something righteous and someone just doing something to look righteous? Wouldn't the visual look exactly the same? Wouldn't, don't we sometimes see someone acting very righteously and we think, ah, that person's a legalist. Look at them. And yet, how do we know that? Isn't it all your intention? And so we're not good. You know, I've, I heard someone say, we are pattern recognition machines, but we're not good at it. We're always looking for patterns, which is why art is great. We see the pattern of the rhyme and the poetry. We see the picture and we see the pattern going on and we love it. And yet we're so bad at recognizing patterns in real life. We think there's patterns where there aren't and we don't see the patterns where they are. And so we think that what we see, we can understand and make sense of. And yet the Bible says clearly, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So faith does not come by our seeing. It comes by our hearing. Um, It says in the Old Testament also, Proverbs 8.33, Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. So again, there's a blessing in those that hear and we're instructed to hear. Um, But I'm going to try to give an example of a sermon that is seen and uh, and demonstrate what I'm talking about, that we're not always good at recognizing patterns. We're not always good at understanding truth, even when we see it. So here's my visual sermon. If you take a look at that, the blue line on the top and the green line on the bottom, you know, even if you know this optical illusion, you still can't make yourself see those two lines as the same. The blue one on top is clearly fatter and longer, and the one at the bottom is thinner and shorter. But let's remove the context and see what happens. Let's bring those together. Oh, they're identical. And yet if we put the context back in, our eyes still see it wrong. We can't make ourselves see that correctly. Here's another one that is like an interference pattern. Now this one, you can't see the horizontal lines as straight. They look like they're tipping up and down and up and down. And yet if you remove all the squares, they are in fact straight and parallel. And you put the tiles back on there, and you can't see them as straight, even though your mind, you know in your brain they are straight, but you can't make that happen in your visual sight. And so here's another case where context is actually what's confusing you. You have to take it out of context to see the truth. Try another one. A and B are identical in color and in value. They, they are exactly the same. And yet the context is throwing us off. Let's remove all the context. Look at that. They are identical gray trapezoids. And when, oops, sorry, when we put the uh, context back in, you can't make them the same color in your brain. And so you think of this in our real life situations, and we hear things that sound nice, and we think, oh yeah, that sounds true. Like every movie, practically, I shouldn't say every movie, I should say many movies, many pop songs say, uh, follow your heart, believe your heart. Just, it's inside you. And this sounds very nice, but it's not true, but it sounds nice. And then they can present a nice context where that might feel true, even when it's not. We'll look at one more. So this one I love because it's just so absurd. That brown square on top and the orange square on the side are in fact identical, just like the other one. But how could one look so orange and the other one look so brown, and yet you can't possibly make your eye see that correctly? So even when I dim down the rest of it, you're starting to see it. If I take it all the way out, they are in fact exactly the same. And yet again, we put the context back and you can't make yourself see the truth. And so... Imagine now if you just put the same idea and you put somebody righteous into the shadow and somebody righteous into the light 
And you might think these are two different people. These are two different righteousnesses. And yet you remove the shadows and the lights and they're identical. So we can't quite understand what we're seeing. I'll, I'll give an example in the Bible of context. So norm, our normal frame is that when you take things out of context, that's when you get confused. So here's a good one out of context. The Bible actually says there is no God. Can you believe it? Psalm 14.1 says there is no God. And yet in context, it says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. So we're used to seeing this kind of thing where people cherry pick and they take the one thing that proves their point and they purposely leave out the things that might disprove their point. But it does work the other way where you lose the point because of the context you're looking at it. You can't see everything that it is saying. Um, so here's an example of that in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So in context, we love this verse because it shows us something about God, something that we're very happy to hear, that God sees past our appearance and he sees right to our heart and he knows the good intentions we have. That's the context we're used to seeing. And yet right in there, it's also telling us something about us. And we miss it. We miss the little point that he's saying about us particular, which is man looks on the outward appearance. And so then we, we might ask ourselves, well, what does it matter what I wear to church? Or what does it matter what I, how I look in public? Or what does it matter if somebody misunderstands my actions? I know what I'm doing. But the Bible is telling us that man sees the outward. And so there is a reason to have a neat and clean appearance. There is a reason to appear upright. You know, the Bible says, avoid even the appearance of evil. You might not be in the, this certain place for any ill intention. You might have a very good reason to be somewhere that might look bad on the outside. And so you might think twice and say, I could go in there and I know my intentions but man looks on the outward appearance. It might not be good for other people to see me there or to see me a certain way. And so if you say this to people, they'll say, oh, you're just, you're so superficial. You're, you're so legalistic. You're trying to work your way to heaven by dressing right and doing the right things all the time. But that doesn't matter because God sees your heart. But God doesn't need to be witnessed to. He doesn't need to be converted. God said that man sees the outward and it's man that needs the witness and the conversion. So there are things that we miss because of the context in both directions, inside and outside context. Uh, let's see another example. Revelation 1, 2. John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, so John was very fortunate. He got to see an amazing sermon. We don't know exactly how this vision was uh, in his mind or if he saw, did he see a representation of the future or did he see the actual future playing out? But anyway, it was an amazing sermon that he got to see. But it says, 
Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So we're blessed if we hear it. And then there's a verse that's repeated so many times in the New Testament. These are all the places where it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And so the, the Bible does talk about seeing sometimes, but frequently it's about hearing. And then here, this might be the reason that we really can't trust our eyes to see righteousness, but we must hear and believe. Revelation 3.17, this is the church of Laodicea. This is us. This is our description of us. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We actually can't see the sermon correctly because the Bible tells us we're blind. But notice, nowhere in here does it say we're deaf. The description of Laodicea is not deaf, but it is blind. So we're back to our scripture reading. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now let's look at this verse in its full context to see what is he really talking about here? Because if it says faith comes, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, does that mean that you have to hear the audio of the Bible? Does someone have to read the Bible to you in order for you to believe? Could, it, could you read it? Is it really talking literally? Or what does it mean faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Because many people can hear the Bible and not have faith, hear a, a good sermon, and nothing changes. You know, this is why we start to doubt sermons, because we realize that people don't really change very easily, even, even ourselves. We think we're changeable. We think we make our own decisions. We don't really make our own decisions. Our decisions are largely made for us. We didn't decide on our parents. We didn't decide what country to be born in or what circumstances. Everything's kind of determined without our choices, but then we pretend like all of our choices are our own, when most, mostly we don't really have choices. And so... To change your mind is not an easy thing. And so to hear a sermon and then you change your mind, that's very unlikely. And so why does it say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? I mean, the short answer we know is that the Holy Spirit accompanies that word. It's only the Holy Spirit that changes. We don't, we're not able to change. And so the Holy Spirit can work when we see a sermon. It said that the harlots and publicans saw John the Baptist's life, and they were converted. They believed. So it is possible to work that way. But the Bible is stressing that the, that the way that's most common is by hearing the word. So let's look at the context, as I said. For, so it starts in uh, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to stop here for a minute. Because it says, it's, it's such a simple concept. Can that really be true? And many people call on the name of the Lord who, who I'm not sure are really saved. Does it mean everyone who calls on the name? Because didn't Jesus say this in Matthew 24? And Jesus answered and said to, unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. So we know deception. We just saw all those optical illusions that deceive your eyes. I, tell, I show you what the truth is, and then your eyes still can't see the truth. So Jesus is telling us in the end times, just before his coming, 
Deception will be everywhere. And then he follows that with, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And didn't, didn't Paul say that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved? And here Jesus is saying, but many will come in my name. So this is also showing why, I don't know if you've heard, there's some people who are very much into the sacred name movement and you have to say Jesus' name exactly the way it was said in Jesus' time in the local language. And if you say it in your own language, that's not good enough. It has to be the holy sacred name of, you know, we don't, we don't know what the language of heaven is. And so to arbitrarily pick the language that was spoken at the moment and then that becomes a sacred name, that's not what he's talking about when he says the name of Jesus, who, those who call upon the name are saved. That's not what he's talking about. Because Jesus says, many will come in my name. And my name by any language, any spelling, it'll be under the presumption that it's him when it's not him. So let's see what, if the Bible can help us a little more. Exodus 33, 18, this is a famous passage. And this is Moses speaking to God. And he says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses wanted to see God's glory, but look at what God's answer is. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. This is the name that we call upon to be saved. The the one that's all the glory of Christ. This is his character. This is everything that Jesus is. That's the name that you call upon. So not just, oh, if you say Jesus, then you're saved. You've got to call upon the name, which is, as it says here in Exodus, his glory, because that's what Moses wanted to see. So back in Romans 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So again, Paul here reiterates it, that you How are you going to call on Jesus and you just say Jesus? How are you going to call that unless you believe his glory and the meaning of who Christ really is? How can you call to be saved if you don't believe? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So in order to call on the name, you have to believe. In order to believe, you have to have heard. We've often heard or we understand that, you know, it says that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the verses you need when you need them. So don't prepare a defense in those last days when you're going to be persecuted. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind the verses you need to, to answer, just like Christ in the wilderness answering to Christ with scripture. We don't have to prepare for that. The Holy Spirit will bring it to mind, but he can't bring something to your mind that's not in your mind. You have to have heard it. You have to have put it there the first time. So how can you believe on them that you have not heard, and how shall you hear without a preacher? Now I'm going to bring in another verse from Paul too, just to stir the pot a little bit, because doesn't Paul call preaching foolishness? 1 Corinthians 1.21, For after that is in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So he's making the point in Romans in our context that you have to call upon the name 
and you have to believe that name and you have to have heard that name. And we hear it by preaching. And here he's saying, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. So don't expect that when you hear preaching that you're going to hear some really good, solid uh, uh, wisdom that's, that's, that, that you can't possibly argue with because it's so perfectly given uh, that it will change people's minds. No, foolishness is preaching. Uh, preaching is foolishness. And it's foolishness because you prepare something that you think could change minds, but you can't change anybody's mind. They come in thinking one thing, they leave thinking the same thing. The Holy Spirit can. You say, well, then why do we need preaching? If it's the Holy Spirit that does it, why don't we just skip the middleman? Says, because it pleased God that it's preaching. And why did it please God? Because with all the world's wisdom, they still don't know God. There's some smart people in the world, and you can see them in the universities, you can see them on television occasionally, not often, but occasionally they're on television. Very intelligent people doing very smart things and research, and yet they still don't know God. So with all the wisdom, you can't know who God is, so why would all of somebody else's wisdom change your mind on that? You can just match wisdom for wisdom and you get nowhere. And so God said, by the foolishness of preaching, because you're not going to change anyone's mind anyway, that's how I'm going to reach people to believe. So we can, I'll go back to Romans 10, 14. So how, how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so not only do we have to preach, but we have to be sent. Good thing that Jesus sent us all. In Matthew, he gives the great commission that we are to bring this message to the ends of the earth. So you've all been sent to preach. And it's a good thing that now you know that you don't have to be a smart, wise preacher because preaching is foolishness. You know that you can't change someone's mind. Even if you could show them clearly the truth, they can't see it because of the context. We saw those optical illusions. The context prevented you from seeing the truth. So you can preach the truth and they still won't see it. So you must go knowing that there's nothing that you're going to do to change someone's mind. And yet all you're commissioned to do is to preach the truth. And how are you going to preach the truth unless you've heard the truth? And how are you going to hear the truth unless there's a preacher to give it? And you can't bring, everyone can see right through you. You can't bring the truth unless you believe it. So you have to believe what you're saying and you have to have heard it. And then when you bring it, that person's not going to believe it. But with your words goes the Holy Spirit. And so you fumble and you say it wrong and you didn't do what you wished you had said. And yet that person, if they're interested and open to the Holy Spirit, will hear precisely a, a, an amazing message that will convert their heart. And so sometimes we think maybe we're, maybe we're focusing too much on preaching and we're not doing enough to reach the community. And that could be true. We can always ask the Lord to show us 
who can we reach today? What can we do for people in our lives that have need? So of course we're praying for those things. But we should never discount the fact that God has chosen to use preaching to reach people with the truth. And so it's very important. And this is why our service every Sabbath is centered around the sermon, because this actually is the method that God has chosen, as foolish as it is. And we hear many, many sermons. And sometimes we get very tired. We're we're so burned out on sermons. We've heard it all. And we're always looking for that new piece of truth. And you may not hear it anymore because you're, you're coming to church knowing that you're not going to hear anything that you're going to be interested in. You've already decided that before you showed up. Um, I've heard, I've, I shouldn't say I've heard, I've gotten something from a terrible sermon where the Lord just reached me with one point buried in the middle of this boring long sermon that didn't say anything, but there was one point that made me go home, open my Bible, and opened a whole new world to me. And so there is Christ's method. So it's not only, you know, the reaching people with their needs where they are. At some point, we have to follow it up with preaching the word. And so I hope that you can see, I hope I've answered the question from the beginning, why preach? And I hope that now you are excited to hear the pastor, the rest of the pastor's series on the Sermon on the Mount. So come back next week for that. But let's close with a word of prayer.